0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at Mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at Mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and this is... John Pigeon. Now, I just want to start, John, by uh, thanking everyone for their continued support with the podcast and all that we're doing with My Millennial Property, the podcast, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Business, Gen Z Money, My (laughs) Millennial Money Express. Correct. We've got a lot going on and uh, thank you so much for everyone for their support. Mm. And if you do find this episode valuable or any of the episodes that you've heard valuable, Uh, why not share it with a friend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We just want to add value and entertain you along the way. Uh, Just a little bit more housekeeping. uh, Apple Podcast app has been pretty unstable of late. Mm. Uh, So, I now listen on the Google Podcast app. It's a free app and it's, uh, it's a really good app if you don't have Spotify. And if you are listening to this live on the 20th of July... Uh, This Thursday night, uh, a friend of the podcast and a listener or a a pest in the Facebook group, Josh, he runs a Facebook group called Raise Central. So, it's basically for anyone who uses the Raise app. Uh, On this Thursday night, I'm jumping on and I'm doing a Facebook live with Josh just in the Raise Central Facebook group. So, if you want to jump on and listen Mm. to Josh and I have a bit of a dance and talk investing, jump on. And it's also, again, another little trip by to see if he listens to the show. (laughs) So, there you have it. Thank you, everyone. This episode, we're going to do a case study about my own off-the-plan purchase. We're going to do that after the break. We'll answer some questions first. Uh, We're going to have a lot of fun. And again, thank you so much for listening. You ready to give this a shake, John? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Patrick Anthony asks, getting out of consumer debt when you don't qualify for consolidated loans.
3: Good question, Patrick.
2: Yeah. Well, I I reckon, John, like if you are in consumer debt, you should assume that you can't get a a debt consolidated loan. Like what's your experience been with debt consolidation with your clients?
3: Yeah. Most of the time, you take the approach that you're kicking the can down the road don't you and and you're just yes it's a better interest rate if we do consolidate the loans generally speaking but have we got to the core of the problem in the first place
2: which is the person in the mirror correct and overspending
3: <laughs> overspending so and it is a case by case as it always is but can you definitely look in the mirror and say I've got this consumer debt under control. I've changed my ways. I'm never going to do it. I'm now a good boy again. Uh, I'm going to consolidate because it's going to save me three grand a year in interest and and then I'll I'll, uh, move forward. And
2: this is the thing, like with debt consolidation and consumer debt and interest and whatnot... The interest is actually not the problem and it's never been the problem. Mm. The problem has been the person spending the money. Yes. And I'll say that once more for the people at the back of the room. The problem with your debt is not the interest repayments. It's not the extra interest. Mm. It is the person who's making the debt to start with. So, we can't major on the minor. No. We need to major on the major and that's changing the habits and behaviours. And the, the problem is you... You know, you spend all this energy trying to find a new loan to move all your debt into, and calling companies and getting cheaper interest rates. Well, let's let's just put the energy in yeah. to getting a plan in place to really smash the debt.
3: Yeah, and I had an example a couple of weeks ago, Glenn, where. Uh, a person was wanting to consolidate their car loan into their home loan, and that's a really common one, isn't it? Mm. I might have been paying six, seven interest, or seven percent interest, and I think, okay, I can get two and a half percent on my home loan. Why not just roll it into my home loan? The problem with that, as we know, is now that car loan becomes a thirty-year car loan.
2: Yeah, and I actually, uh, in you know, I was just telling you this morning. I was reading through my book and doing the final proofs. So I actually read the part about that exact thing. Yeah. And sure, if you want to do that, make sure your broker splits a separate split on the mortgage Yes, that's a four-year, or it probably can't be a four-year term on the mortgage, but that separate split and make sure you smash that within the four years. Yeah. But the problem is we try and get cute and we end up 10 years down the track with that split still there.
3: Yeah, that's right. And then we find equity in our home and then we pull more out and we upgrade the car and yeah, the problem doesn't go away, does it?
2: And I thank Patrick for sending in this question because it's really great to chat about uh, because the way that it's worded is, well, how can I get out of consumer debt when I don't consolidate my loans? <laughs> it's like yeah. the 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 consolidation doesn't get you out of consumer debt. No. It just goes, we're having three debt repayments here yeah. and we're making them one. And most of the time, the debt consolidation company or the bank will say, well, we'll make it easy for you, Johnny. Yeah, that's right. We'll... You know, you've got three and four-year terms here. How about we just do the one consolidation? Mm. We'll do a seven-year term. Yeah, it looks too clunky. Let's yeah, not let's, put too much pressure
3: on your cash flow. Do,
2: yeah, seven-year term. We'll take that from, you know, $120 a week from your, all your debts. We'll take it down to $70 a week. Yeah, That's I've a win, been, isn't it? i have had a great win. Oh, it's fantastic. And all my problems are solved. So mm. I'm being a bit dramatic. But Patrick, you've just got to get your hands dirty, roll up your sleeves. And for those... At the moment, sitting there listening, saying, Glenn, you're an idiot. You can't tell me that I can't de- consolidate and do all this stuff because that doesn't make sense. Mathematically, mm. I would say just be careful with your allegations because I don't think it makes <laughs> sense mathematically to be paying interest on stuff you've consumed that you no longer have.
3: Yeah, and, and we can create arguments and uh, reasoning for everything that we do in life, can't we? So we could say, well, yeah, but it's for my car, and my car hasn't dropped in value because of COVID, and and we can come up with a reasoning. It's called confirmation bias, mm. right? Look hard in the mirror. We need to get rid of it. Get on with their life.
2: Just a bit of a, a pulse check, John. Think I've offended many people just now or any few? <laughs> no, no,
3: no. It's, look, it's, uh, yeah, it's oh, our show.
2: This is, that's, John, it's our show. No, actually, you're right. It's my show and you're one of the co-hosts. <laughs> Let's get <laughs> that straight. Let's get that straight, mm. people. Uh, that's a very good um, segue into the next question from Anthony Tan. How important is having a good credit score? Mm.
3: Well... Again, very fitting. Last week, as you know, I was in Melbourne and I shot up to Ballarat and spoke to a group of Year 12 uh, students at Ballarat Grammar. Oh, really? Yeah, shout out to anyone who's listening in uh, in good old rat town. Now, I spoke about this in brief when we're talking about cash flow management and, and this Year 12 was looking me in the eye and he was adamant that he needed a credit card, adamant that he needed a good credit score. And to do that was to grab a a credit card for himself. And I spent a good five minutes informing him and the rest of the group that it's absolute bollocks. And I don't know where you got it from, but it's just,
2: I hear it so many times. Do you? Yeah, and I put it down to Australia is heavily influenced by the USA in terms of culture. And we've just been handed down this fallacy that you need a credit score. And the problem is, all these new apps and all this stuff, they're going out there with a leading strategy for marketing mm. saying, use our app, feed all your bank accounts in and you can get a free credit score. Yeah, It means nothing, people. Nope. The best thing you can do for your credit in Australia is pay your bills on time, yeah. have cash in the bank, keep away from consumer debt. I live and breathe personal finance. I do this crap, you know, eight mm. days a week. Mm. It's ridiculous. I don't know what my credit score is. No. And I will say, Anthony... Your credit score, it's not one government agency that links your tax file number or your Medicare card or some big brother system. There's three private-run bureaus in Australia, Equifax, Experian, Illion. and each lenders might use a variety of two or three or one of them, and each bureau makes their own assessment. Mm. But ultimately, when you go to the bank to get your first home loan or anything like that, the bank will collect their own information from your bank statements They'll collect their own information from what you tell them about your situation. They'll also do a sweep of the bureaus and they'll form their own assessment. Yep. So it really, I just can't stress enough, we need to stop this thing in Australia mm. about credit score because you just, you're majoring on the minor. Yeah. You really are. Right.
3: Yeah. Just, just keep doing good things, right? Yep. And, and just don't go out of your way to try and get something when you know it's a bad idea to begin with.
2: Right. So, John, for those out there playing at home and who listen live, we're recording this on 18th of July, yes. and it's going up on the 20th of July, Tuesday. Yes. You are supposed to be in Melbourne right now. Yes. But you're not. It's a weird old world, isn't it? So, John flew back under the cover of darkness into Newcastle on Thursday night. I've got the inside word. John, someone in a high-level... Government role tapped Johnny Pigeon on the shoulder and said, "You might yeah. want to leave uh, Victoria, ESAP, and the next flight." <laughs> and he got the last flight in to Newcastle.
3: So. Mm. Otherwise, and as we speak, fifty cases in Victoria at the moment, so it is not going to be a five-day lockdown. Is that just? Is that another tip-off? <laughs> <up? laughs>
2: all right Let's move on to Lockie. Let's, all right. Oh, we've got the three guys questions here. This is actually one that we can really have a, a good chat about. Lockie it. if you had to choose between investing in property and starting your own business, which would you choose? Lockie, can't believe you're asking this. <laughs> I was going how rude. To, yeah. Anyway, next question. Gina Marie asked. <laughs> all right, go on. No, look, Lockie, I'm all for
3: both of those things. To be honest, I, I love business and I love property. I think it really depends on your position in life and and how much how many funds you need to start your business. But I'm going to say property, right? <laughs> Surprising, Glenn, because. That can be just a set and forget, get it on its way. Next 10, 15, 20 years, it'll do its thing for you if you've got a good strategy to begin with. And then you can go and start your, your business venture that is not, and I'm going out on a limb here, is not as guaranteed as what a property long-term will be, right? There's a lot more businesses fail than properties fail. So uh, I, would, I would go the conservative route, Lockie, and get that property done, and then, um, yeah, entrepreneur yourself and
2: start that business. What would you do, Glenn? I'm oh, glad you asked, John. You know, it's not as clear cut as just telling everyone to buy an investment property. Well, people want to know the answer. Fair well, enough. Can't just, we, we can't sit on the fence in these questions. Well, I'm going to, um, you know, while you were rattling off just buy a property, you saw me writing things down. Mm. And I think it depends. On? On. Like a couple, And I've written down probably four things. What's your current income and current job? What's the time horizon of starting the business? Yep. What type of business is it? And do you have your own emergency fund in place? And probably, are you consumer debt-free? There's a fifth point. So, because I think what we need to do, John, with both of these endeavours... Buying a property, starting a business, there's some common denominators that probably should apply to both. Mm. The first one should be with both, we've cleared all our consumer debt. Yep. The second one for both, we need to have our cash buffers emergency fund in place. Yes. The other thing, you might want to make sure you've got your income insurance and all your insurances in place. So there are some. It kind of goes back to my sound financial house diagram, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> like right. Wherever, wherever you are in life, whatever you do, you need to build your life on some solid foundations to start with. Yeah. Then we can say we're debt free. We've got an emergency fund. We've got our protection in place. Yeah. We've got a good cash flow system. Now what?
3: Yeah. Look, I presume that Lockie was all sorted in that space. Oh, did <laughs> <laughs> Just will <to> always <laughs> see, be the, see what happens. Is I cut to the chase and get the answer. Glenn has his rhyme and reasoning for it. Exactly, and, and it's uh, I like it. I th- well, hopefully the the end uh, listener yeah. likes
2: it as well. So we have got to get our baseline stuff sorted. Then I'd probably go to what type of business is it, and uh, and that matters why it matters why because if. Lockie, and I'm assuming Lockie's around 23 to 25, just because of the name. I've met a lot of Lockies on tour, (laughs) and a lot of them have been well under 30. And I don't know many people called Lockie over age 30. (laughs) Look, I'm just Detective Glenn, paging Detective Glenn. Yes. Um, You've stalked him, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So, it matters because what type of business? Let's go back. You can have your own business and be a sole trader and be a physio and be a contractor to a clinic and I work for myself at three different clinics, I'm self-employed. Yep. Tick, done. It's my own little business. The other end, do I want to start a 3D printing business and do I need 50 grand to buy a couple of 3D printers and yep. have all that capital yep. side? Investment so, cost. So, we've got to have a look at each um, way the pendulum swings. Yeah. As well as the time horizon and the current income and job, If you've got a really banging income right now and a solid job, we know that you can get a loan for an investment property really easy. Mm. If Lockie's just left university, he's a barista over here, he does um, some contracting work by night and it's kind of floating around and it's a bit ad hoc anyway, well, lending might be off the table anyway right now. That's right. So, why don't we just go, all right, let's double down and get this business off the ground. So, there's so many things to uh, think and look at and i would probably resolve, well, what I did, I did the business first, but because at the time, my income before I started my business wasn't great anyway Mm. and I didn't really have any money, because how hard is it, John? Like, you've got an income, you've got expenses, it's bloody hard to save money.
3: Yeah. Uh, So, what's your answer? Is it property or is it business?
2: I don't know. I don't know what my answer is for Lockie. Because,
3: and sometimes I don't give the full details to why I've come to that conclusion, but I'm going to now. Yeah, well, let's do that. Yeah. Because Lockie, I can tell you right now, as soon as you start your own business, your ability to lend will reduce dramatically uh, and and it'll be at least 12 months until you can get a loan, uh, but ideally two years provided that business is going well.
2: That's right. But you've assumed that he has a good income already. And that's why I prefaced it with it depends if you're...
3: Going part-time
2: side hustle or full-time. No, well, it depends what he's doing right now. Yeah. If he's right now in a banging income, good job and all that, all day long, smash an investment property out. Yeah. You will service itself, get a tenant, all that stuff, then go and start your business. But if he's at the other side of it where he's got two part-time jobs and a dog walking business on the side, which is cash on Mm. Saturday. Like, it's it's not happening anyway.
3: And again, we're only presuming a few things here, but I I would say maybe- presuming a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I would say, well, if Lockie's wanting to start his own business, he's going to use funds that he would be taking to go and buy an investment property. So, he's not going to be starting a, a side hustle that- requires no startup. He's going to be putting funds into it. So I'm thinking that it's going to be, I'm going to do this business and take it serious. Yeah. So, Which means that it's going to take up a lot more of my time than probably a side hustle, which means he won't get lending to buy that investment mm. property for at least another two years. The markets in the next two years is out of his control if mm. he's not in it, uh, whereas a business can wait six
2: months, 12 months. And as well, John, this is funny, he says, if you had to choose between investing in property, starting your business, what would you choose? He might just be having a hypothetical question. <laughs> might
3: even He just might be asking for a friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Either way, good question. It could be a,
2: a, a 48-year-old woman called Michelle who wrote that in. Like, <laughs> That's right. But it, it's good to discuss. And, mm. and I love these things because you really can't think of these type of questions. No. And I was almost thinking simply, you know, call me old-fashioned and wild. Mm. Go on. You're 30. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Thank you though. Um, what about doing what you want to do most? Yes. <laughs> well, because what fancy that. Fancy that. Like, cause we can't assume, you know, we've looked at all these scenarios mm. and sure, but maybe we need to go locky or hypothetical. If the question is someone out there thinking this, yeah. oh, everyone's saying, oh, buy an investment property, buy an investment property, but I want to start my 3D printing business. Yeah. Well, do your business. Because that's what you want to do. Passionate about. Yeah, that's right. So I think we've arrived at some type of answer. I don't know what though. Thanks, Lockie. Thanks, Lockie. Gina Marie, how much should you pay in rent when you live at home? Mm.
3: It's an interesting one, Gina. I call this free vesting. Free loading. (laughs) No, not not loading. I hope that she's investing in something. So Gina's free vesting in this world where she's living at home. And her, her cost of living is going to be far less than what it would be if she was out on her own, paying her own bills, paying her rent, paying a whole heap of things that, that go unnoticed in life. So it really does depend on what sort of agreement you can come up with with your parents. I, I think you do need to pay something. Um, th- there needs to be some hurt money involved in living under parents' roof. And what that amount is, is going to be different for everyone. Now, mum and dad might sit down and say, well, I don't want extra income coming into my bank account because that's going to play around with my tax situation. So you might, Gina, pay the, the bills. You, um, you, you might do the groceries for the week and, and cover that, and that b- might be your portion to live. So I don't think there's a, a percentage or a one-size-fits-all in this situation. Uh, if you wanted to go Um, technically accurate with a dollar figure for rent, you would look at what that size house would rent for in that region and pay a percentage of that based on how much of the the house you're taking up.
2: Yeah, and we might answer this as well from a parent's point of view and from Gina's point of view uh, because clearly I'm qualified to speak as a parent. But um, (laughs) I'll get all these weird emails after saying that. Um, But what I would say is In terms of Gina being the person living at home, it does come down to the family sitch, like you said, John. Like, um, what's your parents' income? Mm. Are you living with both parents? Are you living with a single parent? Are they a homeowner with a mortgage? Are they a homeowner without a mortgage? Mm. Or you might be living with a single parent who's still renting. Mm. So, I think it's all circumstantial. And I think, you know, clarity is kind. That's what I've kind of been saying lately. Have Uh, you? Well, I wrote it in the book and I read it this morning. So yeah, cool. um, so clarity is kind. So maybe as the parent and as the child, we just need some clarity. Like what's the expectations here? Yeah. You know, my cousins, Neil uh, and Annette, hello if you're listening, and um, their son, Jason, Alice and their daughter, I believe when they – and Jason's just purchased his first home and moved out. Thanks for letting me share this one, guys. Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> it's just—it's uh, a little tripwire as well to see if they still listen to the show. Because if on. if they yep. still listen, I'll get a text message in about a week. Yep. So Neil and Annette were pretty much to the kids—you—you can—and given you know they had a good income, house, low mortgage, well set up financially. Yeah. But they said to the kids, "We don't want your money. You can live here as long as you want." They both had full-time jobs, but that money has to go to a home deposit. Yeah. So, they made them the caveat for living under the roof was you're saving for a home deposit and yep. both kids now have their own home. Cool. And that worked for them.
3: Yeah, it worked for them.
2: Yeah. Now, the other way I've suggested as well, why don't you say to and this is for the parents listening, why not say, hey, it's temple tax, baby. It's mm. 10% of your income. Mm. Done. Yeah. Net income. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever.
3: Yeah. Like just- so- this is how I'm going to roll with my kids. And that's
2: what I was going to ask you at the start. What yeah. are you doing with your
3: Yeah, so spawn. they're probably a bit young to pay rent at, at 9, 10, and 12, but- Ah, get them out there working, starting. stuff them.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, they're, I, I'm going to, if they want to stay at home, and Amy said, yeah, I want them to stay at home as long as they <laughs> want to, uh, to a point, and I'll meet her in the middle there. 43 years old. Um, but I like the idea of saying- yeah, put your money towards a home deposit. We don't we don't care about your rent. It's not going to mean anything to us because hopefully we're financially secure and everything else. Now, I would uh, I would just change that up a bit and say, right, I'm going to take your money. I'm going to take your rent, and I'm going to put it somewhere, and then I'm get, going to give it back to you in three years' time. Mm-hmm. Here's your home deposit from the rent that you've paid me because I don't want your money, but I'm going to teach you good principles to have um, monthly. Transactions um, to save, and then you get that reward in three
2: years' time. So the rent is the behaviours and discipline. Correct. Yeah. Because there's still a lot of people that are living at home, earning great incomes, yeah. and blowing their money. That's right.
3: Yeah. And if you don't pay rent this week, then it it doubles next week plus some. So mm. they get penalised for not paying the rent on time. Would be is my thought. Mm. Yeah.
2: But I like, and as well, like. There are legitimate situations and I've talked to these people and I've met these type of people. Yeah. You know, they're living in a single-parent household. You know, they might be the oldest working. There's still some younger kids at school. Mm. It could even be government housing or whatever the situation is. Yeah. Well, in that situation, you might be doing a lot of the heavy lifting.
3: Yeah. And I do some clarity calls with with people that are really wanting to help their mum and dad out because – they didn't grow up with money mm. and now they've educated themselves and they're earning some awesome dollars. Mm. They, they're actually giving more money to mum and dad than they are saving themselves because they really
2: want to help them. Yeah. So. so it's just one of those things, everyone, like, you know, some stuff that we do so much rage bait and- Is a Yeah. You don't see any of it. I cop it all. But um, <laughs> like, just as a recap, we've got people that listen who earn $400,000 a year. Yeah. We've got people who listen who don't earn anything a year. We've got people who listen who are 17 years old. We've got people who listen who are 65 years old. So yeah, just yeah. chill out on the rage, rate, right, everyone. We thank you for listening. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk
1: about my case study. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back. So I wanted to do a bit of a
2: case study about buying off the plant because if you've listened to the podcast for some time we have talked about this before we've done a couple of episodes on buying off the plan and i thought you know the one that i purchased back in 2018 is about to settle i've had all my finance pre-approved and and good to go but what we did was weirdly the, the same week that i got my finance pre-approval i had a phone call from an ex client of mine who actually had a bit of a horror story with an off the plan. And we will get into that horror story. But before we do that, we might talk about my live case study. And I've given John all the details and he can walk us through. John, you've got your property calculator. Yes. And I might get Jess to put in the link of the show note if someone wants to buy that analyzer calculator because it's it's actually fascinating. You just put all the numbers in. And it will tell you, your investment property or your potential property, what the numbers are. Yes. So, John, do you want to maybe just interview me about the um, off-the-plan purchase or- Yeah.
3: Let's, let's start high level for a start because a lot of people are here off-the-plan apartments and run a mile. And with good reason because there are a lot of pitfalls in relation to buying one of these. Uh, there's a, definitely a lot of downside. But a lot of it really comes back to your research like everything else. So when we're buying something like this, we need to, well, I've I've written down five things that we need to focus on. The first one of those five is if we're going to buy something like that, what type of location is it in and what's the supply and demand potentially like. Now that's a lot of digging with local council. It's it's talking to the locals on the ground, it's talking to other developers. It's understanding just what's in the area. Just like any property you would buy, you're researching that area for for what's coming onto the market, what the vacancy rates are like, etc, uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Then we're looking at, well, this particular uh, complex that we're potentially buying into who is the developer and the builder? Because they're two separate people or two separate companies. The developer uh, buys the land and they say, right, we want to put up 80 apartments and we're going to engage this builder to do that. What's their their track record like? What have they built? We might want to go and visit some of those. Uh, we, we want to see how long they've been working with that same builder for. Because generally speaking, if they've got a really good relationship, it's been going 10 years, then that's a good sign. Um what's their their buildings that they've done five years ago, what do they look like today? Do they they look worn out? Do they still look brand new? Third one is how many units or apartments are being built in the complex? Because if we're one of 400, then that potentially means a lot of lease signs and a lot of sale signs going up through the duration of us owning that particular unit. So yeah, The lower the number, the better, but from a development point of view, they want to build as many as they can. But there's a lot of developers, um, and, and this one is a good example, where they say, you know what, we want to create an awesome outcome for the individuals that buy them and we want repeat business from them. Yeah, we'll make some money along the way, but we're not going to put up 300 when we know we can build 120 quality apartments that are maybe bigger in size and will have better resale value and a better feel for the, uh, the end user, which is quite, what would I say, There's few and far between in that space um, from an uh, off-the-plan development type point of view. The fourth one is, what's my body corporate going to be? So am I going to cough up 10 grand a year because it's got a gym and a sauna and huge lifts and swimming pools? Or is it quite reasonable in relation to the percentage of my purchase price? And then the last one is, what's the yield going to be as an investor? I buy it for five hundred thousand, what's it going to rent for? Uh, what the vacancies are like, what the running costs would be, what's my gross yield and then what's my net yield for my physical situation. Now once we've got the answers to those five and we've done our research and say, yeah, it looks all pretty good. There's a lot of forecasting going on in that in respect to yield and, and even body corporate, but we know that fundamentally this project stacks up. Now we need to look at our personal situation. So Glenn cutting to you, question one, 2018, what was your life finances like at that time?
2: Yeah, in 2018, my life was it was actually pretty good. I was kind of at the peak of my financial planning business. My income was amazing. I didn't really have any financial pressure. I um, Things were good. And mm. in, in 2018, I really didn't have intentions to, you know, sell my financial planning uh, business. You know, we just started the podcast. I was kind of just like, oh, this bit of a hobby on the side. Mm. Yeah, so it was good. And as far as I was concerned, I had a real stable... uh, Trajectory? Trajectory, (laughs) whatever you call it. um, Of income. Of income and stability. Yeah. And so it was good. And at that point, you know, we... I, I did start to get a bit itchy and like, oh, I probably need to buy a property, yeah. uh, another investment property, uh, just to, you know, look after future Glenn and all that stuff. And that's when we went to, um, you know, I, I told you, John, and you told me about, um, you know, this development that was happening in Newcastle. Yep. And we went to the opening launch night of the development and I did a bit of late night shopping. Yes. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I purchased the unit off the plan.
3: Yeah, okay. So let's break that down for, mm. for listeners that aren't quite sure of what off the plan is. We're basically saying we sign on the dotted line in 2018, knowing that we've, we can see a plan and we can see how many in the complex and its location, exactly where it's going to be, but we can't see what it's going to look like uh, fundamentally out of the ground. So it's not going to be built for another two or three years, which means we can't get finance on it. Right Now, we need to really think carefully about, well, what's my, my finance going to be like in two or three years' time? Now, for you- It was going to be perfect. It, well, At the time, it was going to be perfect. Yeah. And this is where a lot of people go wrong, is that, well, if you looked at your situation in 2018, and I did that sort mm-hmm. of, um, is to say, well, worst case, if Glenn does sell his business, he's cash heavy to be able to get the deal done right? Even if his income post-selling the business isn't fantastic, we still should have options up our sleeve because of equity and existing portfolio, etc. Where people go wrong is, hang on a minute, 10%, yeah, that's only 50 grand or 60 grand. I'll put that down and then I'll worry about it in two years' time to get my finance, even though I'm only on a contract at the moment and the conditions change in my workforce.
2: Yeah. And I think the considerations when I was looking to purchase that was to actually probably move and live in it. Yeah. Uh, but I was kind of on the fans, and, you know, even two months ago, people were asking, me, oh, are you going to move? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know yet. I'll just settle it and see what happens. Yeah. And, um, and
3: fundamentally, while we can't guarantee this, this is the good thing about buying into good developments is, mm. okay, worst case, and I'll, I would like three options for you. One is sell it on completion. B is I go and live in it. And C is I rent it out. Either way or always, I'm okay with, All those outcomes.
2: Yeah. And if someone's buying a a unit in a different state or city, then the living it might not be an option. No, so so it might be just the two. The two options. But um, I guess why I really chose the Newcastle area, because in 2018, I knew just from looking in that the New South Wales government really had an appetite for Newcastle. They put the light rail in there. Uh, They committed to a five-year plan with a supercast to do that. Uh, The ATO had moved to Newcastle and the university just was renovated. So, I knew that there was really an appetite for Newcastle and I liked it myself. Um, But the problem was when I put my money down and all that, we just kind of had to forget it and wait till it was completed. Finished, yeah. And it got delayed a year. Yeah. Another reason I you know, chose the development that I did was, you know, it was more of a premium development mm. um, and there was a good track record with the builder. Yes. And, you know, we've had racer on the podcast before and we might actually get him back to do another off the plan thingy. Mm. Um He's actually launching another one right. in six, eight weeks. Right. Mm.
3: Should I buy one? No. Okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a story for another day, okay. but you've, you've already got one in that okay. location. So, you're right? saying
2: if, if some's good, more isn't always better? No. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah. For, so, for me, the you know, even meeting the owner of the development company, my gut feeling was he wasn't a dickhead or a slime bag. Yeah. And that went a long way for me.
3: Yeah. And, and to pre-frame that, I'd known him for 10 years right. as well and, and his developments and what he'd done. Yeah. Um, good yeah. country boy. Um, but yeah, essentially, you've got to do that research on that, those five levels that I spoke about, Yeah. You?
2: So 2018, I went, yep, sure, I will um, purchase a, a unit off the plan. And they showed me ones that were there. And I said, look, I really wanted around the $700,000. So they said, all right, well, that's going to be probably level seven and, you know, here are the ones available. And the one that stood out to me was it was the kind of a north corner, northwestern corner with a nice wraparound balcony. Glimpses. Glimpses. Well, but weirdly from the balcony now, you can actually see down the harbour out to the ocean. Can you? Yeah. Um, And it's north-facing over the marina. So it's quite good. And so basically in New South Wales, uh, when you sign that contract, that's when you have to pay stamp duty. Yes. So in 2018, I put down a deposit of 10% to the developer. So that was because uh, it was $695,000. So I put in $69,500 yep. as a deposit, and and this is the risk as well. It's like I've committed that 10% that just gets sitting in a trust account <laughs> earning bugger all interest yeah. until yeah. that property's done. So that was kind of the only holding cost and then annoyingly i had to pay about $26,000 of stamp duty mm. as soon as i signed as well so you know i, I basically just under 100 grand yep. i had to commit to this property purchase yeah. in 2018 that's right
3: yeah so i've got 96,800 including legals as well yeah yeah and then because you've uh, gone in at 90% loan to value ratio you've got about 8K of LMI in their lender's mortgage insurance.
2: So, it basically meant, you know, when the building completed based on $700,000, I've put down 10% deposit and I can borrow another 90%. Yep. And then I would have to pay some lender's mortgage insurance if I didn't want to put more money into it. Yes. To get over... That eighty twenty magic rule.
3: Yeah. So just on that right now, the the risk, as I mentioned before, is two thousand eighteen. I'm all going well. Life's awesome. Come to two thousand and twenty one. If I can't lend money from the banks, worst case scenario is you forego that hundred thousand dollars, the the ten percent deposit plus the stamp duty.
2: Worst case is in. I can't sell it or whatever.
3: Well, if if you try and you, you don't technically own something right Mm. now and you need to get finance before it's completed. Yes. So there's a gray area where the developer said, hang on a minute, we need our money until we finish this. Yeah. If you can't give it to me now, I'm actually going to... Yeah, that's right. ...legally take your contract. Yeah. And
2: uh, and I took the view that, as you said, if my income wasn't there, I could probably just put some more money into it because, because a lot of people might not realize you still might be able to get an investment property without having an income at all, provided your deposit's big enough mm. because they will look at the rent to service the mortgage. Mm.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, obviously the, the risk in- increases dramatically there. Mm. So, but yeah, if you're a teacher, nurse, um, someone that's on a really consistent income, you can't see
2: that changing, uh, Then then yeah. So for me, like at the end of last year, I'm seeing this building go up mm. and I don't have an income. Because I'd sold the business, I started the podcast thing, yeah. Every all the money that we we're kind of earning in the business, yes. I was reinvesting back in, you know, there was four people employed in the business and I'm in the back of my mind thinking, oh great, you know, this is fantastic, I, I won't be able to settle on this property yeah. because I don't have an income. Like I've got some cash in the bank yeah. and I said to John, like, I really don't want to have to put in maybe another hundred grand no. to get this over the line because for me, and it's almost back to that question with Lockie, I didn't want to tie up that 100 grand into a property because I wanted the working capital for the business. So, if I yeah. needed to kind of invest into the business- That's right. It would have put the business at risk by me tying up some of my own money.
3: Yeah. So, you end in with the, the philosophy of use as little as my own money as possible- um borrow as much as I can from the banks, keep cash heavy mm. uh, I, it means I'll pay some l m i on the way through, uh, and my running costs of that property will be higher, but we'll we'll see in a minute just how mm. that
2: lands as well so so that was a legitimate stress for me, and I'd resolved with John at the start of this year that look i'll just and I started to put the fields out there to to i said to John, if you know anyone who wants to buy it, yeah. I'll just offload it, whatever like I wasn't wedded to keeping it, yeah because I was more happy with my life yeah. that I had this podcast business, things were good, mm. all that stuff. Um, so if I had to sell the property, eh, whatever. yeah, whatever. Yeah. I've probably got my money back. That's right. Yeah. So
3: let's uh, do you wanna look at the numbers then on what it uh what yeah, it so looks like on the way in and the just a couple costs? of weeks
2: ago we sent in the uh, bank valuation and they valued the property at eight hundred thousand dollars.
3: Okay. So, we've had about a 13%, 14% gain in that period, which is awesome.
2: Or $105,000 in value. Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, it's a good
3: outcome in that, well, three-year period, I suppose. Mm. All right. So, you've mentioned that the running costs are roughly around six grand a year uh, plus
2: your property management fees. Yeah. But I think I want to highlight the fact that getting that valuation meant that there's now more meat in the property or an extra $100,000 of equity, yeah. so I didn't have to put any of my own money into it.
3: Yes. So, for full understanding there, you went in with a 90% loan to value ratio. Yep. The property's gone up 13%, 14%. So, now we've, we've got the ability to have an LVR of around
2: 77%. That's right. And then right. at the start of this year- I did start to pay myself a nominal salary yeah. from the business.
3: yeah, okay. So you still need to lend money, but you've got that um, that buffer of 10, twelve percent up your sleeve based you're still paying a six ninety five but if you wanted to sell it tomorrow, conservatively speaking, you could flog it off for eight hundred grand. Mm. yeah good outcome.
2: Yeah, I was quite surprised. Mm. So what did you put into your property analyzer calculator? So, we got a rental
3: appraisal of $630 per week. Yep. And I've factored in two weeks of vacancy. Well,
2: I actually got an appraisal of 660 a week. Right. But what I've done is I've actually secured a tenant mm-hmm. from pretty much the day after settlement and I told them they can have it for 630 a week. Cool. And they're locked in for 12 months. All right. Win-win
3: for everyone. So... Total annual expenses with your six grand of running costs, which include your rates, your water, your body corporate, insurances, et cetera, which is pretty good, to be honest. Um, plus your management fee, you're paying 5.5%, which is also pretty attractive. You've got annually- 20- I negotiated
2: that given that I was bringing my own tenant.
3: Right. That's good negotiating.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> or did I do that for you? No, no. I, I did- did you? Yeah, when you emailed them yeah. and you said, oh, can you do a good deal? They sent me the deal and it was still like 8%. No. Bloody, there was, no, no, no. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> I got a better deal after I talked with them. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You primed the pump and I delivered. Correct. You stood them up, I knocked them down. That's right.
3: <laughs> Joint effort. So, total annual expenses, 28,191, annual income in subtracting your two weeks of rent, uh, coming at a net 31,500, right? So high level, we're saying, well, this property, give or take, is about three grand or more in the positive. Now, we've gone for, for tax purposes, because it's an investment, we've gone off a, uh, a 32% um, tax rate, and there's obviously some depreciation in there based on the square meter of the property and and uh, the fact that it's a um, medium rise apartment. So year one, uh, your interest rate, give or take 3.2 interest only for investment. So it's a gross yield of 4.5 and a net yield of 3.3, which is pretty good. Uh, We know the vacancy rates up there are less than 1%, but we've still factored
2: in 2%. Well, the vacancy rate for the first 12 months of my property will be zero.
3: That's right. Yeah. But we're still throwing yeah. in a couple just sure. for projections. So we want to go worst case. So uh, the pre-tax cash flow per year for you is $2,866 positive or $239 a month. That's including your interest and your annual property expenses. And after tax, you'll get a, a nice uh, refund there and your after tax is around about 4500
2: or about close to $400 per month. So, for people wondering, like all this pr- uh, property talk, is this property positively or negatively geared based on your calculator?
3: Yeah, so it's positive cash flow before tax. You've still got some tax benefits and it's positive cash flow after tax, which I think is the happy storm. You've got the ability to not cost you anything out of your pocket before tax. So, you can run the whole 12 months costing you nothing mm. and you're still going to get a tax refund.
2: So you still can buy positive cash flow properties. Absolutely,
3: Mm. yeah. Now, and just also on that, that's using a 10% cash deposit, Mm. right? So if it was 20% cash deposit, well and truly positive, yeah. But even so, on those numbers, uh, now we've factored in for the next five years uh, an interest rate rise where by year five, we're up around 3.5%, 4%. Uh, And the numbers are still positive because you'll get some rent increases over the time as well.
2: So it's important to note, like, if you have a clarity call with John or, you know, you buy his property analyzer calculator or any of that stuff, with planning and strategy, we've got to look at what the next five years might look like. Yes. And it's always good to plan conservatively. And so, John, here's a question. I'm having my free clarity call from you. Based on all the data you've got of my new property, Mm -hmm. what would you do? Would you still flip it and take the cash and run or just keep it and move on with my life? Nah, keep it. Right. Yeah. Even though it's an apartment. That's not financial advice, by the way. Well, property's (laughs) not a financial product, so zing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So are you saying apartments aren't the
3: end of the world? They're not, uh, but – and people might be listening saying, oh, I'm – You've always been pro houses, which I absolutely am, and I'm pro land and, and everything else. But um, good projects like this in good areas that are regentrified. So, a bit of a backstory Wickham has re- regentrified extremely well mm-hmm. in the last five years. And I was actually up there last week and is, is still booming ahead in that space, right? So, I, I think it's only just started and it's about what a kilometre from. Newcastle
2: CBD. Well, you can jump on the light rail. And for those Newcastle locals who are looking and listening and all that, um, the property is Stellar on Hannell Street, and it's right next to the new interchange. Yeah. And you can jump on the light rail and you're at the ocean within five minutes.
3: Yeah. So, the the um, I suppose the foresight of Third Eye, the developer, was 10, 12 years ago, they bought that site. Right. No light rail in, in, in plan, Well, was in plan, but couldn't see it. So, that so, what you're saying is we know who's making all the money here. <laughs> but <laughs> in saying that, that's the beauty of it is because um, if, if a developer bought that four years ago, they would have to put 300 on it to make money.
2: Yeah. He yeah. only
3: has to put whatever is in the complex, mm. under 100 or something, mm. and everyone wins. And
2: right? actually, um, and we'll wrap this case study up. And I just wanted to do this case study. Um, actually, I need to tell you about the the other side with a horror story.
3: Yeah, so can I, before yeah, you yeah. go there, I've yeah. just done your numbers on P&I as well, so principal and interest. Which it
2: will be, and it will end up on P&I, everyone, because yeah. I like paying down my properties.
3: So I've, I've got your interest rate at P&I at about 2.9. Probably could get a little bit less, but for investment, that's um, that's about right or close enough. Um, so the, we're paying about 13 and a half grand on that amount, principal, per year. Right, which pre-tax cash flow makes it about seven and a half grand uh, negative, but we're paying 13 and a half grand off the property. So it's not actually negative, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's cash flow negative. Cash flow negative, but we've paid down the loan, which is cool. Um, so after tax, it, it's about uh, 7,000 negative. Mm. right? So you would need to factor in about $600 a month into your life for that particular property, to pay down the loan,
2: which is pretty good. Mm. So I guess the the wash up of why I wanted to do this little live case study for everybody is one: I'm probably too transparent with my own life on this bloody <laughs> podcast, but whatever. Uh, two: uh, the value of having someone like John in your corner, and um, you know this isn't an ad for John, or it probably is. Uh, but I mean, just get some advice, get some direction if you've already bought his property analyzer calculator, you've probably been able to actually go, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Or if you want to do a clarity call and purchase the calculator, uh, reach out. He charges $350 and you'll have an hour of power with John. And um, it just makes sense. And if anything, it's just a third-party sounding board. Um, And I've benefited personally from John's wisdom, uh, sometimes. Uh (laughs) <laughs> so just on that for uh, for the listeners, mm. that at the
3: current, as we see it today, the Analyzer Calculator is only for office, right? Right. Um, like, so
2: um, Excel.
3: Excel. Yeah. yeah. So as of next month, which will be August 2021, it will be web-based. So anyone will yeah, be cool. able to access it. So um, yeah. And I'm actually going to put all your other properties in to the Calculator. And I'll give you a summary report of what your life looks like.
2: Thanks, John. All right, I Love won't your charge word. you that. Okay, send right. me the bill though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and at the risk of trying to keep these Tuesday episodes at thirty-five minutes, we've Done, um, all, overcooked we? it. Yeah, it's about fifty minutes, and I've got to go because the car race is on soon. Yes, all right. Um, let me tell you about this horror story. Oh yes. Quickly. So the long and the short of it is, the younger we are, um, the more we've the more ability we've got to take risks. And I won't go into it too much, but um, there were some clients of mine who uh, they're in their 60s and they sold their property and took that cash, and I'll just make a number up. Mm. So, sold their property $700,000, put that cash in the bank, mm-hmm. and they were on Centrelink. Centrelink said to them, We give you two years' exemption because you've, you know, you're going to buy an off the plan. So we'll give you two years to get into your new house and mm. we won't uh, assess that $700,000 effectively. Yep. Because if if you owned a house and you're on Centrelink and you had $700,000 cash in the bank, guess what? Mm. You're not getting Centrelink. No. So, so there was some grace and they got permissions. Anyway, so, and I think at the time, I remember telling them, I'm like, I don't like this. It sounds a bit risky because there's risks with off the plan, right? Yeah. And this horror story isn't so much about the off the plan. It's about strategy and redundancies. Not
3: knowing their life. Yeah.
2: So, I get a call out of the blue. I didn't even have their number in my phone anymore. Like, oh, Glenn, hi. And I thought, and she said her name. And I thought, oh, no, someone's died. Like, uh, I don't like these. Because I said, oh, how are you? Oh, not good. She's almost in tears and all uh, this. And I'm like, oh, don't tell me he's died. Or uh, um, well, someone's died. Anyway... And she goes, oh, no, no, we're all fine and healthy and whatnot. And they uh, purchased the caravan and uh, driving around Australia yeah, and doing the thing, doing all that on Centrelink, full Centrelink, yeah. uh, because they had the exemption. And uh, it was probably around the same time in 2018, they had committed to an off-the-plan. Beautiful beachside skyscraper, level yeah. 17 apartment, right on the beach. Right. Beautiful. Absolutely. So they signed on the dotted line, did their 10% deposit, We've got two years. They, you know, The developer said, yep, it'll be done in the two years and yeah. it'll be all, all good, all good to go. So, so, they're going to pay cash for that
3: at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So,
2: no loan. No, well, they, yep. they've we sold their house. One. They've yeah. got the cash in the bank. They've got the yeah. Centrelink exemption and they're over 65. So, it's yeah. all good, right? Wow.
3: They've
2: got some money in super, um, but don't really need to touch it because it doesn't cost that much to live on the road. So, they're just living off the pension, driving around. Happy days.
0: Yeah.
2: The long and the short is... The developer have had delays and it's not going to be ready for another two years. Right. Jeez. She called me and said, we've just got a, our next Centrelink payment and it's only $30 a fortnight.
3: Because mm, the two years is up. The two
2: years is up. They're now assessing that $600,000 or whatever it is. I think. Uh, it, well, that's, an, that's asset. an asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're in a pickle. And... She doesn't know what to do. they have said, no, they're the rules. You know, we to, like the line's got to be drawn somewhere. Yeah. And I basically said, well, you knew there were risks involved and we need to now quantify that risk. Mm. So, if you're missing out now on $35,000 a year of Centrelink and they reckon it's going to be another two it years- you roll the dice with that strategy and it's basically cost you over 70 grand. Yeah, if, 10%. If, well, no, th- just the two years worth of That's Centrelink I mean. income. That's what equivalent to your 10% yes, yeah. deposit, yeah. So, you've rolled the, you've rolled the dice yeah. on that strategy and it hasn't paid off. No. Because a lot of things like with these developers, it's pure maths, right? Mm. They're not going to start to turn dirt until they've sold a certain amount. mm because they need to get some lending or whatnot in place. Yeah. And there's no way they're going to start to build without cash and without maybe 70% sold. No, that's And right. we will try and get Racer back on for third eye and do mm-hmm. another off-the-plan thing. Yeah. So... And I said though I said they probably haven't sold enough units yet to start building.
3: Yeah. So even Third Eye had some planning issues throughout that phase, which um, cost them six months or more. So
2: yeah, it's common. Yeah. So whether it's the all the off the plan units haven't sold yet, mm. whether there is an issue with uh, planning and mm. all that stuff, things just don't always go to plan. Yeah. And that's the risk. So I took a risk, tying up my money might not settle it. No. But the risk has panned out in my favor. Yeah. But the problem is if I got flushed or the risk didn't go to plan and I lost $70,000, yeah. it's not a big deal for me because I've got more time to go back to work. That's and I right. said to these clients, I said, you've got two options. You've got X amount in your superannuation. And I said, I can't give you financial advice. I'm not your advisor anymore. No. I'm not even an advisor anymore. Mm. i referred them to the advisor who takes after them. Takes yeah. yeah. I think they were just calling out of desperation, which yeah. is fine. And I said... I think what you need to do, contact your advisor and they might just have to set up and you need to draw money out of your super now mm. because it's cost you $70,000 mm. because you need at least $70,000 over the next two years to live off. Yeah, The money's got to come from somewhere. Mm. Alternatively, you need to go back to work maybe a couple of days a week just to put some food if you don't want to draw down on your super. yeah. So, it was just a, a really good exercise to see and share that Absolutely. I want everyone to take some calculated risks and mm. look at different strategies. So for my strategy was, if it didn't come to light, I could sell it, I could live in it, or I could rent it. Three options, yeah. They really didn't have any option no. for any, um,
3: anything going wrong. No, nah, and, and those five things that I spoke about at the start of this were none of them are relevant to them because it was their personal situation that, that's ballsed up here.
2: Well, and, and the fact is the developer is saying two years yeah. I'm thinking that's cute it's yeah. gonna be three yeah. or four yeah. like you just okay. you can't dick around with high risk stuff no and they've asked They and, and I said to them I said oh Did you ask the developer if someone else could buy the unit off you and all that? And they said no. And I said, well, it just means that really they haven't sold enough. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so Mm, there you have it, children. We'll leave it there. Hopefully, I haven't overshared too much. And I really do want to thank you for listening. uh, And,
1: John, we'll see you soon. Let's do it.